So I'm in the office this week and uh, Dave Joslin says, so what's the title you're going to preach on today? And I said, uh, oh, just transforming the world. <laughs> just a small subject. But you and I have been called to transform the world, haven't we? And I don't need to tell you that, really, because some of you have been on this journey and have been in the Christian church for long enough to know that we have a huge, huge task. And maybe sometimes you get overwhelmed by it. Maybe sometimes you think, when are we ever going to see it happen? And uh, I don't think we'd be quite that uh, questioning if we maybe lived in China. Well, hang on a minute. China's a big place and it's got a communist government and uh, they're not very keen on religion. Actually, there are probably more Christians in China than there are people in the UK. Right? Nobody really knows the true number because there are no government statistics for it. (laughs) And uh, because there wouldn't be, would there? But um, if you lived in South Korea, something like 50% of the population are born again Christians. That's a very different atmosphere, isn't it? That's a very different sort of place to live. When you pop along to church and join with over half a million people, unfortunately not at the same time, but, uh, you know, when you are one of 12 services and 40,000 people come into the auditorium, have an hour together and go out the other side and then another 40,000 come in in one side, you know, something is happening in your nation, isn't it? But we have the same Jesus and the same God and irrespective of borders, as one of the Apollo astronauts said, you know, when I looked down on on earth, do you know what I saw? I saw no borders. And there are no borders in the kingdom of God, are there? There are no borders. There are no limits to what God can do. And we constantly need to remind ourselves that that actually is true. And I had a real sense in the worship this morning that you were getting convinced, we were getting convinced, that we have something inside us worth sharing. (laughs) Not because we have to. So long in the Christian world, we've done things because we were told or we felt we had to, and then we all got kind of screwed up because we felt guilty because we weren't doing enough of it. And how can you do enough of it? Because it's such a big task and I'm always supposed to be doing it. And then we get crushed. And then we stop, you know, in our worst moments, we stop doing it. But in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. Okay? There's no condemnation in this room. There's no guilt in this room. There are no sinners in this room. Just check and have a look around you. Anybody looking particularly guilty or sinful at the moment, or maybe just a little bit puzzled? (laughs) Really? Is that true? Yes, it is. You have, you are righteous because you have the righteous son within you. And please don't give in to that lie. Well, you know, Jesus is in me, but you know, he's surrounded by some bad things because I've got, you know, things in me that shouldn't be, you know. No, you have become a new creation. The old, what's the old, what's happened to the old? It's gone. The new has come. Yes, David, but you know, I, I still have bad thoughts and, and, and I still make mistakes and sometimes, and sometimes I, I even sin. Say it quietly. <laughs> yes, but those are not coming out of your new nature. That's not who you are. And when you do do those things, just remind yourself, or even when you, you know, what, 
One sure way of overcoming temptation is saying, here's some temptation, but that's not who I am. That's much more effective than saying, that's not what I should do. <laughs> I don't mean that, you know, I don't mean that's not a, a, an illegitimate strategy, but actually you ought to start where you are, not about where you're doing. It's much more effective. This just isn't me. You know, that bad thought came into my mind and I might want to act, but you know, it's really not me. It's how Jesus did it in the, in the wilderness, didn't he? The devil came and said, if you are the son of God, the devil tempted him on his identity. And he overcame, you know, Satan through the word of God through and knowing who he was. He was the son of God, but he wasn't going to do the things that the devil was tempting him to do, or at least not in the way that the devil was tempting him to do. Move it back to your subject, David. What is my subject? Oh, transforming the world, yes. <laughs> so, I'm on holiday, and uh, God says to me, David, you are asking the wrong question. Okay. <laughs> that was a bit of a random thought. Here I am in the middle of Lithuania, having a great time. Lithuania? Anybody been there? Right. Well, I won't. <laughs> when you get me with a cup of coffee... I'll tell you all about Lithuania. I am now a, in, in English terms, I'm absolute expert on Lithuania. That's partly because nobody knows anything about it. <laughs> in fact, that's mostly because nobody knows anything about it. Anyway, I've been in Lithuania. Actually, I don't know if it actually happened, but it's worth saying this. I was actually at the center of Europe. The geographical center of Europe is apparently in Lithuania. Well, according to the Lithuanians. But <laughs> I haven't. I'm saying that because I haven't checked this out yet. <laughs> and in the middle of this wonderful sculpture park, uh, it's out in these trees, there's this kind of triangular monument sort of thing that is the geographical centre of Europe. And it's got all these kind of lines going out, you know, a thousand kilometres to London and so many kilometres to Moscow and so many to Oslo, that, that kind of thing. So you're, you're actually at the centre. Um, let's just pretend I was there because it makes a better story. But anyway... Um, so God says to me, David, you're asking the wrong question. I said, well, what, what question, Lord? He said, you've been asking the question, what kind of church should you be? Well, I always thought that was quite a good question. <laughs> you know, I'm a church leader. I've been in church leadership for over 20 years and uh, got born again into a church. I've been around lots of different churches. I've read about a lot of churches. You know, but am I, have, I, have I wasted my time? No, I don't think God was saying that. You're asking the wrong question. What kind of church should we be? And I say, okay, because I, I believe in God. I believe he's wise. And he doesn't take you down a rabbit trail. Uh, with, well, even if it is a rabbit trail, it's always for a purpose. So, you know, okay, God, what question should I be asking? He said, well, you should be asking the question, what kind of world do you want? Hey, Mel, Great. <laughs> I'm on a roll here. And <laughs> I do like response, you know. I mean, if you need to blow raspberries, that's fine. But, you know, what kind of world do you want? You see, it's not a bad question to ask what kind of church you want. And actually, we've been asking that for a long time, haven't we? And it's not like we've never asked what kind of world you want. But actually, it takes you outside the church, doesn't it? We do want to be a church that will reach the world. 
But it's worth asking ourselves the question, well, okay, but what kind of world do we want? Do you know why? Well, there are lots of reasons why, but here's one. It's not good enough just to get people saved. That's not the same as saying it's not good to see people saved, because clearly it is. You know, if we're saving people from an eternity of hell and bring them into an eternity of heaven, that is absolutely worthwhile. But it's not the whole story, is it? Getting people saved actually is the beginning of the process. It's not enough just to get them in the confines of the church either, is it? Because what happens with churches like that is we gather a lot of people, we say, wow, this is fantastic, look at us, there's a couple of hundred people here this morning, look at us, we could be going like this for the next 20 years. The problem with that, it doesn't fit the gospel of the kingdom, does it? Jesus came to bring a kingdom, and he came to change the world. Why don't you find Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20? I'll read it and then we'll, we'll carry on from there. He is the image of the, sorry, fifth chapter, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross and through him verse 20 to reconcile to himself say with me all things all things look at the people around you say all things look at our glorious rural view out of this window and say all things look at the urban landscape behind you and say all things Look at the look at look at the white wall. Look at London over there and say all things. All right, cast your head around the whole nation and say all things, all things, all things. Cast your eye, your mental eyes around the world and say all things. We're tuned into heaven and it says there that Jesus is going to reconcile all things, both on earth and in heaven. So even the things we cannot see. Even the things we cannot see with the Hubble telescope. <laughs> He's going to reconcile all things. The whole cosmos is being reconciled to Jesus through the cross. So the cross is about our personal salvation. It's about our personal transformation. But actually, you are caught up in this cosmic transformation of the whole of all things. Big picture, isn't it? So I'm thinking, what sort of book should I take on holiday with me? And I, I like a nice light read. So I bought Hillary, Hillary, oh, Hillary Clinton's Hard Choices. 
I also had a detective novel. I got through the detective novel. That was quite good. J.K. Rowling or Robert Galbraith, as she now writes under. I've forgotten the title of it now. But anyway, I read that. And then I got onto the hard choices, about this thick. And I read about two-thirds of it. It was uh, Hillary Clinton's life as the Secretary of State for America. Now, the Secretary of State for America is kind of equivalent to our Foreign Secretary. But a whole lot more powerful. <laughs> And uh, she was four years in that job, and then she's busy being a grandmother. Um, I think she'll come back, you know, as the next president of America, probably. I'm not saying that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. I just think that's probably what's going to happen. But um, Hillary has a staff. Can you guess how many staff she's got? She has, or in that job, she had a staff of 70,000 people. That's like everybody, I mean, Gravesham is, you know, uh, 94,000. Well, the working population must be smaller than that because that takes in children and young people, obviously. So the working population, mainly, let's say it's about 70, 60, 70,000. That's like all of Gravesham working for Hillary Clinton. Right? You can imagine the conversations, uh, you know, in church. On says, How's it going working for Hillary? <laughs> might be all right, actually. Might be all right. But 70,000 people. So she's a powerful lady. She oversees, her department oversees all the American embassies around the world. That's partly why she's got so many staff. Not to mention the intelligence agencies and, and things like that. Although I think the CIA is a separate department, I'm sure. Or does it come under the, well, it comes under the Secretary of State, I don't know. But anyway, she's a powerful woman. And one of the things that was very, was absolutely fascinating about reading her book was that she would come to a nation. And she would see a need in that nation. And if the politics of it were okay, and obviously this is not quite as easy as it sounds, if the politics is okay, she would release incredible resources. She had the power to release incredible resources into that nation. So she could be in meetings and they'd be talking about, you know, uh, whether it's Africa or Asia or, or some country that needed USA aid. Her decision would set in process, uh, or you know, set a process in uh, in process. You know what I mean? <laughs> in motion. Thank you, thank you. I knew there was another word: there. process, process. That would actually release sometimes millions, so occasionally billions of dollars into a particular need into a particular country. Would you like to be able to go around the world? And wherever you found a need, be able to say, I can deal with that. Just pausing while you work out, while, while you already know what I'm about to say. <laughs> well, why not give you room to think? You know, why, why should I tell you everything? <laughs> well, let's take another example. Why have the Invictus Games been so successful? Well, because there were some amazing people that you know took part in it that's the you know the games that have been recently at the olympic stadium with the you know the heroes you know back uh, you know have been hurt in the various conflicts that we've been involved in why was the invictus Games so successful well it had a lot to do with one man didn't it prince harry prince harry is influential why well he has got a lot of credibility from his you know his serving in the army you know, he's done a great job there. You know, he's, he's kind of the bad boy made good in the royal family, isn't he? And, uh, so, um, if that's okay on the internet, 
Sorry, Harry. You know what I mean. <laughs> we've forgotten all. We've forgiven all you all that stuff. Everybody. Anyway, he's done a great job. Uh, but Harry has an idea, and it was his idea apparently. That could we do this amazing thing, both to honour, you know, the guys and girls that have been injured in war, uh, and just to celebrate not what you cannot do, but what you can do. Great concept, isn't it? Fantastic concept. And, and some of the things I can't do, half the things these guys do. That's because I'm knocking on a bit. I'm sure if I was age, still 18, I might be able to give it a try. But, uh, yeah, so. but it's been amazing. But he's been able to do it. Why? Particularly because he's Prince Harry. And in our nation, that carries a reputation. It carries a draw. And it actually opens doors. I said to, said to the school junior, you know, in, in our nation, if you want things done, you've either got to be a member of the royal family or one of the Beatles. There's only two left, isn't it? Anyway, um, I think I heard Paul McCartney say that, actually. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's a good story to put around. So, royal people do things, don't they? They release resources. You have an immense resource behind you. You have not the economy of the United States. You have the economy of God. What can we do, therefore, if we truly, truly believe that we are royal people, and it's, just not, and it's not just a nice truth to give us a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside, although, you know, it's nice to have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside, don't, don't want to knock that, but if it's going to be more than just that, if we truly are the sons and daughters who have the freedom of the house, I love, those, well, I love it when I do a sermon, and almost every song has something about the sermon, right? If we have the freedom of God's house, actually, we have the freedom of the world. I was lying on the floor in a meeting once under the power of God, and I remember a a lovely man called Simon Pettit waving his keys, his car keys and church keys all over me, saying, David, God's giving you the keys to the city of Gravesend. And if I haven't prayed this over you before, I just want to say, folks, you have the keys to this city. Because you are the carriers of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And you can unlock the resources of heaven into our nation. It's actually a job of the body, not just of individuals. But individuals totally convinced of their royal identity and their royal assignment to bring the kingdom of God into their city will be a force to be reckoned with. Our passage this morning says he is the head of the body. And the head wants to release his resources. And we are, as Hillary Clinton is in America, and as her, the people who work for her are ambassadors of the nation of the USA. So we are ambassadors of a greater kingdom. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of the King of Kings, aren't we? Amen. Let's say it a bit louder. Amen. amen. That's amen to the truth, not to the... You know, well, it's coming through me and it's okay. But, <laughs> sorry, nearly fall, fell into false humility then. I'll just jump out. Let's go back to our passage. It's an interesting passage, this, because uh, Paul was writing to the Colossian church and he was writing in a, si- in a situation where there were false teachers around, probably Gnostics, you've heard us talk about them before. And the Gnostics were trying to persuade him of a number of things. Two key things, actually. One, that Jesus isn't enough for you. 
So you've got to do other things. You've got to keep other festivals. You've got to keep other laws. Because Jesus, he's good, but he's not quite enough. The second thing that is thought that Gnostics believe is that actually they had a thing called dualism. Right? doesn't mean they went out with swords and dueled each other. Dualism. And that's the belief that, if you like, the world is split in two. And the material world is bad, evil, no good. God's going to chuck it away at the end of time. Only spiritual things are good. That's why some Gnostics couldn't accept that Jesus had become a man. He was just like a spiritual being who got put on a kind of cloak of humanity. Wasn't really who he truly was. Whereas the incarnation is, that's, you know, God appearing as, as man is God full, uh, you know, God being fully God and, or Jesus being fully God and fully man. It's the greatest compliment that God has ever paid to his world that actually he came into it and became part of it. So a Christian must believe that the material world is good fundamentally. The spiritual world is good, but the material world is good. There are many things about it that have gone wrong. There are many things about the spiritual world that have gone wrong. The devil, for instance. (laughs) But actually, Jesus' mission on the cross was to reconcile all things, whether in earth or heaven, to himself. That's what his vision was. So that one moment in time on a tiny little hill on an unknown city in Jerusalem actually changed the whole universe. It's it's amazing, the gospel, isn't it? It's just like too good to be true. The problem, the reason I'm emphasizing this is the longer you're in church, you get saved, you become part of the church, it's easy to forget the world, isn't it? Or it's easy to be a little bit Gnostic. You know, I wander into work and it's all a bit mucky, you know. It's not like my connect group or Sunday mornings. That, oh, that's so, you know, oh, it's so holy and the people are so nice. And then, you know, Monday to Saturday or Monday to Friday, I'm so, oh, I've got to mix with the world and they're sinners and, you know, and got to, you know, leave that job because it's so bad and find another one. And, you know, and then I go along to the school gate and there's those other mums there, Oof, you know, <laughs> and actually the, the, the thing is and this is a good thing is it the, the more Christian you become the more the world seems different from you isn't it and on one hand that's a very good thing because you'll be conformed to the image of the sun you're becoming more holy you're, you know, God is, God is inside that's great but you have to be in the world as well but not of the world don't you And he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. You are there to rescue the world and redeem the world and reconcile the world. Nobody in this church will ever tell you not to be part of the world. In fact, my job has been done already. You know, the worship was sending you out before I even got round to it. You see, Jesus in this passage is presented in a number of key ways, isn't he? He's presented as the creator of all things. God made this world. Sin has broken it and evil, yeah, in many ways kind of abounds, but it's still God's world. It's still a good world. And God thinks it's so, so good it's worth rescuing. 
the material world, the spiritual world, the whole caboodle. <laughs> Familiar with that word? I'm not quite sure what it means, but you know, everything. Everything in heaven world, the whole caboodle. That's the, the ultra message version of that version. <laughs> but here's the thing. You'll have seen it, I think, in... Uh, let's get the right verse. All things were created, verse... Uh, halfway at the end of verse 16. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, this is a biblical truth that's not often... I've, um, very rarely, I uh, think I'm, can't, my memory doesn't stretch back that far. I can't remember anybody ever preaching on it. They probably had, and I wasn't listening. But God is a creator, but he's also a sustainer. I am sustained. Just look at yourself. Are you falling apart? Well, you may feel like you're falling apart inside, but you are not, as far as I can see, falling apart. You are being sustained. The chair on which you sit on is being sustained. Its anatomical structure is such that it beautifully positions you in a seating position and it's holding you there until you such time as you decide to rise up when I finish preaching. <laughs> I'm stating the obvious, isn't it? But it's an obvious truth that we can forget. So, if God has created the whole world and he is sustaining the whole world, he is everywhere, isn't he? Everywhere you go, Jesus is already there. Because everywhere you go has been created by him and for him, and he's holding it all together. You know, I've said it, I'm sure you've said, you know, oh, I wouldn't go there, it's a dark place. Well, you know, there are, there are reasons for being sensible sometimes about going to some places. But you know, in all those dark places, Jesus is there. He got there before you. He's always been there. Because he made it and it's, it's for him and he's sustaining it. That doesn't mean he approves of things that might be going wrong with it, of course. But you see, Jesus is a genius at getting into places that are full of evil or full of sin or full of destruction that are falling apart. He loves remaking things. He loves it so much he died that it might be something that happened to everybody for all time. He is going to remake the heaven and the earth. He is the reconciler. It's through his blood on the cross, that verse says. The peace through his blood shed on the cross. Get your glasses out, David. Yes. By me, so yeah, verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Say with me, all things. Whether things on earth or things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know that phrase, and it's often used, and I, lo I love it. I love it so much, I can't remember what it is. Um, <laughs> I want to get all that Jesus died for. Or I want Jesus to get all he died for. Currently, probably what most of us think that means is people getting saved and healed and then going on in their Christian faith. Probably. I wouldn't want to suggest that all of us feel like that. But that's, and that actually is fantastic. But you can see from these verses, it's only part of the picture, isn't it? That God is actually reconciling all things to himself 
So therefore, it's entirely legitimate for you and for me to be involved in reconciling everything to Jesus. Reconciling your workplace to Jesus. Reconciling our nation to Jesus. Reconciling our politics to Jesus. Reconciling families to Jesus. We're usually okay with that one. (laughs) Reconciling uh, science and medicine to Jesus. It's what our healing center is. I love the genius of our healing center is that we are trying to combine, you know, scientific medical uh, advances with supernatural healing. We don't see the difference. Why? Because Jesus is reconciling all things to himself, isn't he? You can almost say that, you know, you can recognize a God thing when it gets perverted. The arts is classic, isn't it? The whole arts and entertainment industry has kind of a strong, like, non-Christian, if not anti-Christian, feel about it sometimes. Folks, it's just waiting for us, it's waiting for the church to redeem it, to reconcile it to its saviour. For Simon Cowell and... Who's the one on the end? Louis. Who's the one that's... uh, um, No, Cheryl. Cheryl. And uh, Mel, thank you. Now, don't get me wrong here, but you know, you don't... If you're a Christian, you don't have to always sing Christian songs. If you're like in the pop industry. Wouldn't it be interesting if somebody came on and sang a Christian song? How would the panel react? How many, anybody here involved in the media and television? Whoa. It's just waiting there to be redeemed. It might be, you know, it might be that we don't do that and God calls somebody else to do it. But wouldn't it be, it's an interesting reflection, isn't it? on us this morning, we are sitting next to one of the the biggest capitals in the world, one of the centers of arts and media. We are at the east gate of the city. and We can't at the moment find a hand of somebody who's involved in the arts and media. That's interesting, isn't it? That's not to say that many of us aren't creative, that many of us aren't going to develop in that way, but that's kind of interesting. You see, I'm, I'm, I want to do away with a certain phrase. And that phrase is this, even the church is doing that now. I hate that phrase, don't you? Now, I like the fact that the church does eventually catch up with things, but in our nation at the moment, it wouldn't be the most typical thing. Oh, even the church, you know, I can remember the, uh, a newspaper, news, news item on the TV, showed a vicar, this is 20, 30 years ago, with a laptop in front of him. Even a vicar can use a laptop. Oh, give us a, give us a break, you know. <laughs> I know hundreds of vicars and pastors are using laptops. What are you getting? But you see, the perception was the church would be out of date. The church would not be in the forefront of an advance in society. And yet we're a nation that you know, produced people who have been in the advanced party of social change. William Wilberforce would be one of those people, wouldn't he? 
William Wilberforce not only changed his own nation, but changed nations in the name of Jesus. We have, and you can mention hundreds of other people who have had both an impact in this world, in, in this nation and in other nations. But we have some way to catch up with, don't we? So that we are actually invading what some people call the seven mountains of our society. Don't get confused by that. The seven mountains phrase, is, phrase comes from a prophetic word that Lauren Cunningham of YWAM and Bill Bright of Campus Crusade had some years ago where they said we need to invade, you know, the kingdoms or the mountains of our society. And, and they kind of grouped them together in seven very convenient sort of um, categories. There was business and commerce, education, the church, the family, arts and entertainment, science and medicine, government and politics. Now, probably everybody fits in there somewhere, and it's not necessarily exclusive either. But you can see that what their heart was saying, look, we, we have a great God. Jesus is God. He is enough for us. We are not the Gnostics. We don't think we need something else other than Jesus. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus bodily, Paul says. And... He is here to reconcile the world to himself. He is enough for us to do the job. (laughs) That's what this passage is teaching, isn't it? He is enough. And it may take us years. It took William Wilberforce something like 30 to 40 years to actually get an act passed in Parliament. And even the acts that abolished slavery came in three different phases. Abolition of slavery in England, I think 1807. Abol- you know, the abolition of trading in slaves came a little bit later. And then finally, in 1833, the abolition of slavery altogether in all the British colonies. It's a long, hard, and in many ways difficult and challenging path to walk, isn't it? But it is the way of the cross for us. It is the way of Jesus. And we must constantly remind ourselves that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. We need constant encouragement and and edification inside because, you know, the task just gets bigger. We keep saying in our church, Pete and I and others, we have this, you know, it just got bigger. Our influence got bigger. 150 people turned up our evening school this, this week. 54 people on our daytime school. We're branching out into the community. There are more people needing the food bank, more street pastors, you know, more, more things to be done. There are probably areas of your life where you think, wow, God, please open the door for us. We need to be an influence. We went up to, Carol and I went up to Trafalgar Square on Monday evening to be part of, I, I never felt I was so British. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's great to be, to, to honor your own nation and, you know, not to be jingoistic about it, but honor our own nation. And we stood in Trafalgar Square and it was just, you know, not literally holding hands, but, you know, common cause with Al Murray, the pub landlord, if you're not sure who he is, he's a stand-up comedian. Eddie Izzard, probably one of the best-known transvestites in our country. Uh, Sir Bob Geldof, who's not even British, he's Irish. <laughs> But said a very interesting thing. He said, I'm here because you need to fight for this nation. You need to make yourself you know, known because this nation made me. As Bob Geldof, you know, Sir Bob Geldof. 
lady from the NHS who I didn't recognise, and then Dan Snow from Channel 4. And they just came on and he just spoke passionately both about Scotland and about the United Kingdom. And the desire for the kingdom to, you know, the United Kingdom to stay together. You know, I got passionate about it and it was okay. And I took, we both took our little Union Jack flags and we waved them around. Because we felt passionately that, you know, this thing called the United Kingdom with all its flaws and failings, but all its glory too, you know, it needed to stay united. And who knows what the purposes of God are in that. But actually you and I can be passionate about a greater kingdom, can't we? We can go to Trafalgar Square or, you know, go wherever we are and wave our flag for Jesus. Only this week, the Labour Party hosted a meeting in this room down here, I think rooms three and four. And we had the head of the council, John Burden. We had the parliamentary prospective candidate for Labour, Tamanji, who's uh, Singh, who's, who's a, actually a previous mayor of Gravesham, uh, is a councillor on the finance committee, uh, you know, in our council, and is running for parliament in the, in the next election, you know, presumably against Adam Holloway. That would be interesting. But, uh, you know... I'd, yeah, he's the, he's the guy that opened our church, but <laughs> that was interesting. And he, but he just plied us with questions. Here's people in the world coming to ask us what we think, and we're able to tell them about what we're doing in the community and why we're here. Folks, being in this building and being part of this church is amazing. You're having an influence just by putting your bum on a seat here. <laughs> And I'm sure there's much else that you're doing. <laughs> it's a terrible picture of passivity, but I know. So. Shall we stand? We just had a moment there, didn't we, when, when, you know, and, uh, when I said, who's involved in the arts and media? And it all kind of went quiet and nobody was there. Folks, this is an opportunity. Opportunity knocks. If you go back that far. Anybody under 50 probably doesn't know what I'm talking about. Or 40 maybe. Huey Greenness. <laughs> Let us just pray in our hearts for a release of creativity and prophetic anointing on us as a church. Can we do that? In our hearts right now we are going to release, and some of you are going to have these prophetic words... You're going to have a prophetic word that brings a solution to problems in the world. A prophetic word that's going to bring a solution in your workplace. A prophetic word that's going to bring a solution or a new idea or some way that you're going to have an impact on your school or your kids' school. Or the local institutions like the council. Who are in one sense coming and at least asking us. They're not asking us for the answers yet. But we have the answers We are the Hillary Clinton. We are the Prince Harry for our city. We are the royalty who have the influence with the King of Kings and can release resources into this area. Why don't we just pray that? Heavenly Father, just release your resources into ourselves and into our church. You are the head of the body. And you love to release your resources. Help, give us wisdom to know how to call down heaven to earth. How to see everything reconciled to Jesus. How to walk in places that we've not walked before. Places that are challenging. Political arenas. Community arenas. 
personal arenas, workplace arenas, where, Lord, already we're making an impact, but we want to make more. We want to see strongholds come down. Lord, we want to see righteousness and justice brought in our nation. We want to see work. We want to see employment. We want to see families restored. We want to see people saved. We want to see the wonderful kingdom community of churches in this town and in our nation ever increasing because your kingdom is increasing. Why don't you just release that to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I want to pray now that in the hours to come and in the days to come, that God will keep releasing his prophetic words to us, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words that will unlock doors. We have the answers, not just the answer, which is Jesus, but all the answers that flow out from him, which are multitude. We have the new inventions. We have the problem-solving abilities. You are the people of God, and God has a calling on you. God is raising you up now. I'm just going to declare this over you. God is raising you up now to be royal sons and daughters, to take authority in the world. Not as people who are lording it over people, but as servants, humbly saying, I feel that we should do this. Not even necessarily saying it's a God thing, depending on our situation. Sometimes it's okay to do that. But to give, nonetheless give God the glory at other times, or you know, however that works out. But the most important thing is that we are reconciling in Jesus' name his earth and his heaven to himself. That's what he's doing. He's just saying, come on, come and join in it. Amen? Amen. 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 Woo!